And that is Pete Seeger. Pete Seeger on stage at the Newport Folk Festival 1959, the very first Newport Folk Festival. I'm Ron Alesco. You're listening to Traditions on WFDU. And uh, we're talking about Newport. Uh, the festival has really become legendary, and it's, it's sometimes very difficult to separate myth from reality. And uh, over the years, the, the long history that Newport has had, the, the effect it's had on our culture, it hasn't been documented up until now. There is a brand new book that has just been released called I Got a Song, A History of the Newport Folk Festival. It's uh, published by Wesleyan University Press. And I happen to have the author of the book on the phone with us now, Mr. Rick Massimo. Rick, how are you? I'm doing okay. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show, and, and, and thank you for writing this book. Uh, you know, as, I, as I said before, this is like a, a long overdue history. I mean, Newport has had such an impact on our culture, and, and your book has not only documented Newport, but I think you've done an amazing job of documenting the folk revival and everything that has changed from that those early years in 1959 right up to present day. Uh, I, I guess my first question to you is, how did the idea for the book come to you? I mean, I understand you were a reporter. Is that where it all began? Right. Well, for, for nine years, I, I covered music for the Providence Journal. And in 2009, they were having the 50th anniversary Newport Folk Festival. And they sent me to the paper sent me to New York to spend a day with George Ween talking about his career and, and the Newport festivals in general. And on the train ride back, I said, well, this, this is, you know, I was plotting out a series of stories that I was going to write over the next week. And it was then that I realized you could easily make a book out of this. And I had about, you know, I had about a quarter of the material that I, that I ended up having but I already knew you could you could you could make a book out of this. It, the, the amazing thing is that you know, Newport has had such a history, so much mythology that has surrounded it. Um, the Bob Dylan, nineteen sixty six, was it? I think or sixty five. Well, uh, sixty five. Sixty five. Yeah. Right when he went electric, yeah. and all the different stories, people who were there having different views of it. And as I can see throughout your book, <laughs> that it wasn't only with Dylan. There is so many other facets of Newport that depending on who you talk to you get different stories it must have been a little difficult for you to, to sort all this out well in some cases it was difficult to sort out and in some cases I felt like the fact that you couldn't sort it out was kind of the point true the the chapter I wrote about Bob Dylan going electric is strictly it's like a narrator list documentary mm -hmm. it's just a collection of, of quotes from people who were there critical writings from afterwards it, because the, the very fact that everybody saw something different in this, I, I started to try and sort it out, and I realized, no, the fact that you can't sort it out is the point. Mm -hmm. That's very true. And even in the early years, I mean, the first year, 1959, when um, the Kingston Trio, there was somebody, uh, I read in your book, there was different s stories about how the Kingston Trio came on. They were, Earl Scruggs was supposed to end the show, and they brought him the, the trio on instead? Right. Uh, let's see, the, the, actually, the Kingston Trio was supposed to end the show, but people needed to get home, so they were prevailing on the organizers all day to, to, switch, the, to switch the order and put the Kingston Trio on next to last. And the problem with that was that when Earl Scruggs came on, nobody wanted him 
nobody in the crowd, very few people in the crowd wanted him to play. Uh, they wanted the Kingston Trio back, mm-hmm. and it was a very difficult time. And one, you know, one, one or two of the members of the Kingston Trio came on and said, come on, guys, you, you've got to let Earl Scruggs play. It's Earl Scruggs. So it's not like it was their fault, but it just, it just didn't go well, and he played a few songs, and then the Kingston Trio came back, and everyone <laughs> was happy. And that didn't look very good in terms of you know paying tribute to, uh, to traditional music. Sure. And, and that kind of struck a chord in me as to Newport has always had a kind of a balance between the commercialism and the traditions. And, you know, the, the, even the recent uh, Newport, people are looking at and questioning, especially the traditionalists, you know, who are these artists that they're, they're now bringing in? This is the Newport that I remember when, when I was young. This is not the same feeling to it anymore. But that, I think, in, in itself is also uh, uh, what folk music has. It's, it's changed so much through the years. But I, I think people forget that when Newport first started, George Ween did it as a commercial enterprise. Well, that's right. I mean, that's why he had the Kingston Trio. And, you know, when Bob Dylan went electric, like a Rolling Stone was the number two record in the country. So it's not like people could have been that surprised that he did it. Mm-hmm. But it's it's true. I mean, this, 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 this pushing at the tradition and expanding the tradition and some people being upset with the, with the pushing of the tradition, to me, that is the tradition, right. at least at Newport. And I also think that with with very few exceptions, the people who call themselves traditionalists were the iconoclasts at some point, because that's, that's generally how it works. And unless you were there in 1959, you were at one point the young person who was bringing in uh, you know, new music or wanted to hear newer music with a different viewpoint. That's that's very true. It's, it's it's a living tradition, so it's always going to change. And uh, Do you think, though, that Newport still has the same... Um, importance as it once did i mean in the in the 50s in the 60s rather when the folk revival was in full bloom i mean playing at newport was really the ultimate for any person in the genre but nowadays uh, since folk has changed so much the festival itself has a whole different flavor to it but do you think it still has any, any the, the cultural significance it once did it's certainly certainly the artists i talk to say it does they you know, they just like just like the generation before them. They hear the they had these artists who they loved when they were a kid, and they know that they played at Newport. So now it's 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 still a tremendous thing to them to mm-hmm. play at Newport. And you know, the, the the festival itself is just is unique. I mean, the the setting, the 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 structure of it. It's it's pretty different from a lot of a lot of the other festivals that a lot of these younger people play. Mm-hmm. So they they get that. I mean, Jim James goes on and on, and I have a long quote from Jim James in the book about what a special place Newport is and what a special festival it is to play. And there are plenty of others who feel the same way. Mm-hmm. And, and the whole history of the, the festival resurrecting itself, um, you know, it, it died out in 1970, I believe, or 71 was when, when it was canceled. Uh, due to some of the writings uh, that, that took place right. at the jazz festival, right. but um, it managed to come back, and it's come back in a couple of different uh, incantations since then. Different sponsors and such. Um, uh, what do you attribute that to? I mean, is it obviously just the legacy of, of, of the, the original Newport, or are there other reasons why it keeps coming back? Well, certainly the the legacy has a lot to do with it, but it's also 
and and one of the things that that the festival does today is consciously trade on its legacy, which is which I think is I think is important, and I think is a is a great thing that they do. But also one of the reasons it continues to be important is because it continues to change, mm-hmm. and I think that that makes it. I think that that keeps it one of the one of the preeminent festivals in the country because it, to a new generation it may mean something it may sound different but it means the same thing sure and it's probably one of the only festivals in this country that manages to sell out <laughs> so far in advance uh, that's that's always amazing to me they sell out they sell out before the acts are announced uh-huh. it's people people just know that it's going to be that it's going to that it's that it's going to be a special experience, and it's funny because the organizer has told me, and it's in the book that he, um, you know, they toy with the idea sometimes of of just never announcing the acts, mm-hmm. and you just you show up and you find out who's playing, and it's it's I can see where it would be tempting to do that, but they're <laughs> they're not going to do that right. actually. Right, I, I can imagine though. You you said that they the, the producers are um, you know. Building on the legacy, playing off of, of of that legacy, but are they conscious of what Newport meant to the traditionalists back then? Are they you know, back then? There was always a lot of different multicultural um, artists being brought in from all over the country. A different pay scale, of course. Back back then, uh, people were not were all being paid, no matter whether you were Pete Seeger or whether you were just somebody who came up from from Arkansas to, to sing a couple of songs. Um, but it was always a, a way of, of Introducing the various cultures, various traditions, but are they are they cognizant of that fact? Or are they are they trying to do to do anything towards that? Well, I think so. Um, uh, after after Pete Seeger died, they set up a stage in the Museum of Yachting, which is on the Fort Adams grounds, and it only holds about a hundred people or so. But you can see it's it's the the program is called for Pete's sake, mm-hmm. and that's. It's there to say, well, this is a part of the festival that we're going to have that's going to be like Pete Seeger wanted it. Mm-hmm. And you can see anything there from Cajun acts to to crafts exhibits to dog acts. There was a dog act the first year that they had this. So it's it's true that there's there may be a different sort of balance. But, you know, people do sometimes overrate how how non-commercial it was in the old days. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had Judy Collins, you had Bob Dylan, you sure. had, you know, you had the Kingston Trio. It's, you know, you had Janis Joplin one year. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it, there's always been this balance, and I, I couldn't speak to exactly how, how the balance works out now, but there's certainly, there's certainly a, uh, a portion of the festival that pays, that pays tribute to that. That's good to hear. Uh, I, I have to admit, I haven't been there in a in in number of years, um, but I, I I did enjoy the, the setting. Um, it, it was different from the original, but uh, there was that feeling. It was it was good to see younger audiences there participating, learning, and you know discovering some new things. So I'm glad to see that's continuing on. Now, how about for you? You mentioned you you you, you came up with this idea when you were a reporter. Were were you involved at all with this music? Was this uh, something that you enjoyed, or did you just take this as a uh, as another reporting job and became, found that there was a, an article, a, a book here. Well, I would say it's you know it's one of it was it's one of several kinds of music that I that I listen to, but really it's the 
feeling, and you know, because you, maybe it's been a few years, but you've been there. Mm-hmm. There's just a feeling when you're there. Yeah. And, you know, you can just look around and everyone knows that it's special and uh, and the producers know it's it's special. And when you talk to George Ween about the, about the place that it's had in his life, I feel like, I, you know, I, I feel like that's, that kind of that kind of feeling is something that I wanted to convey, mm-hmm. and you know I think the I think the struggle the struggles to keep it alive and relevant are part of the part of the struggles to keep alive and relevant any kind of musical institution in this country in this in this day and age. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the stresses and struggles that they that they faced are are pretty common in the in music and in the arts sure. nationwide. And, and there are so many other festivals that have been spawned because of Newport. Um, the Philadelphia Folk Festival, which started a few years after Newport, still going strong, but they are facing difficulties, too. They, they know that attendance is always up and down, depending on who's there, what kind of artists they present. But it seems like the current producers have found that, that good balance, um, and they, you know, obviously people are showing up for it. Well, what do you think for the future, though? Do you think this is something that they can maintain? I think so. It is, once again, a nonprofit. It started as a it started as a for profit venture, then went to being a non profit venture, then after the hiatus from nineteen sixteen well, nineteen sixty nine was the last one, uh, until nineteen eighty five. Uh, then starting in nineteen eighty five was a for profit venture and it became non profit again just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I I think organizationally they are as strong as ever. I think they're it they're committed to, to staying in Newport. The the relations with the city are, as far as I can tell, the best they've ever been. Certainly better than they were in the <laughs> '60s. And I don't know. I, you know, I, I can't tell the future. And right. especially, it's not, it's not a. I'm not actually a part of the group, but it certainly, it certainly seems like they're they're pretty well built for the uh, uh, for the long run. Well, that's good to hear. And as, as an author, as you, as you wrote this book. Um, any anything that was really uh, um, a moment where you really learned something new that that that, that really impressed you? I mean, what, what are some of the takeaways that you had from from writing this? Well, I felt I I just find George Ween a fascinating character, and one of the things that really struck me about him is that he feels he gets pegged as a businessman and that he has been pegged as a businessman for, for decades. And the fact that there, was, that there were other things driving him to produce this festival and to, to put it together, I think that, that's, I think that, that, was, a, that was a compelling story for me. Mm-hmm. And I think the way that, uh, I think the, way that the, first, uh, the first time it was a nonprofit, the foundation that they had, the way that they went across the country and discovered found musicians and brought them to Newport and and in cases for example Cajun music the way they planted the seeds back in their uh, back in the back in the places where these, these this music came from uh, you know the the Newport festival had a lot to do with with the kind of renewed respect that that Cajun music got in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, today it's one of the great American musics. Absolutely. Well, we, we certainly owe a lot to, to Newport uh, for our cultural heritage. Uh, I wouldn't be doing a folk show if it wasn't for Newport, I think. And uh, I am, I'm so 
happy to have an opportunity to speak to you, and I, I hope our listeners will, um, uh, will check out your book. It's called I Got a Song, A History of the Newport Folk Festival, mm-hmm. Wesleyan University Press. And, uh, Rick, I, I want to thank you for spending time with us today, and I wish you all all success with this book. Well, thanks much. Okay, Rick Massimo uh, joining us today. And, uh, again, uh, I Got a Song, A History of the Newport Folk Festival. By the way, Rick, before you leave, are, are, yeah. are, are you going to be going this year? Of course. <laughs> Good. Right. Well, maybe we'll see you and say hello there. Hope so. <laughs> okay. Right. Thanks, Rick. Right. You're listening to Traditions on WFUFM. I'm Ron Alesco at 89.1. And uh, let's.